Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. And welcome to Elkshade Podcast, guys. How are we living? Life is awesome. September is almost here, midway through August, and some of us are hunting... At this very moment, I am probably crawling on my knees trying to get close to a cagey little antelope, a little delicious morsel that uh, trying to stick with an arrow. So today's episode, we're bringing on Dan Salzman. He lives over there in Napa, just outside of Boise, and the dude's legit. So obviously he's, um, well, you're going to find out, guys. He's pretty darn good at elk hunting for somebody who grew up in Pennsylvania He's a transplant from the East Coast and basically set out to kill his first elk with a rifle. Well, you know what? I'm not going to spoil it. Listen on. But this dude didn't have an elk hunting learning curve. So I kind of make fun of him throughout the podcast because that's not normal. If you have experienced a learning curve, you're just like me and you're trying to make yourself better. But this guy's got incredible work ethic. He's an absolute beast inside the gym and out he's done the death hikes with XL mountain gear and he's just really driven and i like people like that so we're gonna bring like-minded people on here today he is just a, in construction uh, management blue collar and just a good dude family man our kind of people so discount codes time to get a last minute item i think you need your game bags look up caribou game bags type in elk shape Get 15% off. Order the Wapiti package. Put your game bags in a not as expensive as Yeti cooler, Siberian coolers. 
Discount code ELKSHAPE2019 for 10% off. I recommend the Alpha Series 85 Quart. That is what I'm running. Food for the backcountry, Off Grid Food Co. Make sure to order on Wednesday nights at 5.31 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's when he restocks everything. He should have never told me that. I don't even know if I'm supposed to tell you guys that, but that's how you beat everybody and get all the food. Check out the bison. Check out the quail, the jerky. Um, you're welcome. Elk Shape 2019, 10% off. Get yourself an e-bike, Backcountry e-bikes. Elk Shape 300 saves you $300. Kenetrek Gators. You're going to need them. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE in the checkout. You'll get $25 off your Gators. Uh, ELKSHAPE Camp Live. That's going to happen January 24th. That's the first of at least six. Early bird registration is going on right now. So we have links in the show notes. If you click on that, you'll save $100 off registration. We're going to limit it to 25 athletes. We're only going to do one in Spokane. So if you live nearby, that's going to be the one. We're going to go to Texas, we're going to go to Wisconsin, we're going to go to Seattle and Portland, Colorado. We're traveling, we're taking on the road. This is my full-time gig, guys. This is what we do. These camps will change your life, and that is no joke. That is not like, there's no fluff in that statement. I am going to elevate and flip everything that you thought you knew upside down and find things you need to work on. So get to an elk-shaped camp after elk season. If you know that's going to be you, go ahead and save a hundred bucks, put it towards your travel. You you know, there's no discount code. I just have it on a hundred dollars off right now. That's going to go up after October. So you're going to want to get going on that. Elk 101, University of Elk Hunting, 20% off. Use discount code ELKSHAPE. You can download the audio version and listen to it in your truck while you're driving in between hunts or driving to whatever and pick any chapters. That's going to be huge. Uh, so check that out. And then obviously we have the online elk shape camp for those that aren't going to come see us in person. Oh, a lot of people will probably do the online camp and still do a live one because the live one is the best. But if you want access to our first two camps, everything was recorded and edited and produced and it's there. The online camp is 99 one year access and you even get a discount code for our live camp if you do that. So we incentivize that. That is probably the best thing we got going on. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel. It's Elk Shape. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We blog on our website for articles, training, free workouts, uh, and then the podcast. I think you know about that. So without further ado today, let's get down with Dan and find out how he's killing all these elk. Elk Shape Podcast. What's up, y'all? Dan the Fitness Man here sitting down tonight recording with an Idahoan um, a dude who's got the same first name as me, uh, a dude who kills elk and is a family guy, Dan Salzman. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. Just uh, hanging out, get, trying to get a little stretch in. Oh, yeah? You're doing a little stretching? <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm up to the uh, two workouts a day now, trying to get back into that groove, so stretching is key. Yeah, no doubt. Like doing mobility pieces or just let it, static stretching? Um, I try to do some mobility work in the morning after my, my main workout. And then tonight I just went in a little three mile run. So now I'm just doing some static stretching afterwards, getting the hamstrings and stuff loosened back out for ready to go for tomorrow morning. Okay, man. Set the stage for listeners that don't know you. Have you been on podcasts before? Um, I've done the rich outdoors. Um, eh, he's all right. Who else? Yeah. Hunt, hunt back country. Eh, there he's all right. Uh, back country rookies. I don't know about that one. Okay. Okay. Uh, by land. 
with uh, Emery Wanger. He's a he's a good dude. Okay. A lot of a lot of ultralight backcountry stuff on there. So. Okay. Well. Yeah, I got a couple under my belt. Well, I am going to go places no one goes. Just so you know, we're gonna go places and <laughs> we're gonna talk about some real stuff tonight. Um, I don't even know what that means, but for real, introduce yourself. Like, I don't know much about you. I think you're in the military and you're a dad, and you love hunting. Yeah. So those are the those are the key points. Uh, dad to four little kids. Husband um, in the Idaho Air National Guard as a heavy equipment operator. So I do that. I'm a traditional guardsman these days. So just the one weekend of the month and a few weeks out of the year. Um, I'm in construction management as my Monday through Friday job. I'm working for a home builder here in the in the valley. Um, I am an Idahoan for uh, the last nine years by way of Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so I... I moved out here when I was 25, so I got a late jump on the on the western style of hunting and and hunting elk in general. But um, we got shipped out here in 2010 when my wife was actually in the Air Force before I was, and she got stationed in Mountain Home, so that's how I landed out here. Good old Mountain Home. Yep. So we did eight years in that beautiful gem of a spot and uh just moved up to nampa last summer so okay so you're in nampa yep who i lived in meridian for about a year i enjoyed it i would love to live in boise i don't make decisions like that though in my household so <laughs> not up to me so yeah it's it's got its pros and cons it's, it's growing man i haven't lived there in 10 years and i was driving through there and i was just like yeah, the valley's like, doubled in the last 10 years, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts. And I know why people want to live there. It's recreation every direction for anything. And then yep. it's super clean. It's a really clean town. Yeah, and the weather's beautiful. The winters aren't that bad. Get an extra. Just, you guys get an extra month of spring and an extra month of fall compared to me in Spokane. And it seemed like the snow always melted off by about the next day down yep. in the valley. So Yeah, sometimes the same day. So, I mean, it's it's a cool spot. There's we a, really like it here, which is why we never left. Bunch of badass so, hunters in that area, too. Yeah, yeah, they grow them good around here. Yeah, yeah. you can rub elbows with some pretty good. So over in Nap is, uh, let's see, is, uh, is Zach over there? Um, he goes by at Beyond the Backcountry, Zach Owens. Yeah, he's he's from over here. Yeah. The south part of town, just outside of Nampa, I think. And then he just moved back down here somewhere, but I haven't hooked up with him yet to see where he's at. Okay. I'm trying to think. So, um, is there is Black's Creek Guide Gear still out there somewhere? Yep, they're still here in town. Okay, up on the other side of the interstate for me. I live down on the south end of town, out kind of right out on the edge of town. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. And then Pennsylvania, like where in Pennsylvania? And did you start hunting in Pennsylvania? I assume. Yeah, so uh, I'm from scranton uh yep. just like the office which is everyone's follow-up question yep yes it's a real place uh <laughs> so yeah i uh born and raised there got started hunting there my dad was a hunter and fisherman so um kind of just grew up doing rifle deer hunts and spring turkey and doing some fishing in the summer we had a little boat we'd get out on and um when i was maybe 18 19 i bought my first bow and just wanted to spend more time in the woods so i figured i'd teach myself how to shoot a bow and how to bow hunt and buy a tree stand and be a uh professional whitetail hunter like everyone's dream is back there <laughs> so did that for a couple of years and then 
wound up coming out here. Did you have any luck in Pennsylvania? Um, I had actually quite a bit more luck than, than a lot of folks. We had a, everything out there is kind of private land. And, um, in high school, we wound up getting a, a pretty decent little 35 acre patch to sit on for deer season. So I shot a few bucks and probably, I don't know, maybe four or five bucks and 15 does over my hunting career in, in PA. I mean, a lot of years, if you're not shooting a doe, you're not shooting a deer. So there's plenty of doe tags. It's not, it's not just, you know, discouraged or frowned upon in any way. You can get multiple rifle doe tags for throughout most of the state because the deer population is just so high. Yeah. I always think about like the guys who live out East or Midwest. And I, I kind of narrow down a few States where I'm like, that state's got some ballers. Like maybe they can't hunt elk every year, but there's some baller bow hunters in Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. I'm probably forgetting a bunch, but those are the three that always pop out of my mind. Is like some pretty serious bow hunters, and I always see license plates out west here from those states when I'm hunting elk. Um, I can't believe yeah. it. that's pretty cool. And then you moved over your mountain home area. For those that know, it's just south of Boise. It's kind of deserty. It's kind of like a good gateway to get to catch them pretty fast or head down to the Waihees or bomb down to Nevada. And then you can always make it to like Salt Lake area really fast too from there. Pretty good spot, really. Yeah, there's nothing in Mountain Home, but you're not far from everything either, which is nice. I mean, you can really kind of shoot out in any direction and be somewhere that's, you know, worth worth the drive in a hurry. So that's how kind of how I got started hunting in Idaho is shooting down to the Oahis for the, the two-point deer seasons and that was actually the first first buck I shot with my bow was out here in Idaho, um, down there in the Oahis. Dude, that's some sweet country. Now, um, back when I lived there, I could go hunt there over the counter pronghorn, and since then, I believe it's a draw. Now, is it? It might yeah. be an unlimited draw, but is it? Yeah, it's a, it's an unlimited draw for. There's one of the archery seasons is is a is limited. There's a controlled number of tags, and then the other, the later season is unlimited archery so that's actually the tag i have this year they're pretty spread out down there aren't they yeah yeah they're kind of all over the place but it's a cool tag because it's multiple units it's like that whole whole south corner of the state and from where i'm at i can i can be in my archery unit in you know 15 minutes just shoot down across the river so yeah no i I love going across the snake and hitting in there it's just beautiful down there and then mule deer i mean there's some giants down there man there are. I saw some big bucks this year down in there in the wintertime just doing runs out there in the kind of the foothills of the Oahis trying to stay in shape. We, it was bumped a few big bucks a couple of times. Now, do you know my, my next episodes with Travis Nowatney we haven't recorded yet. We're scheduled. Do you know that dude yet? Uh, we've met, but I wouldn't say I know him. Okay. I, I know of him pretty well. I've been following him for a few years. Yeah, I'm pretty stoked to talk to that predator. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's a killer. He's a big deer killer for sure. Yeah, he's down in that area. So let's get into elk hunting learning curve, man. You're like the perfect guy because you moved here from the east, and now you can actually live your dream. You can chase bugles. When did you get your first elk tag, and and where did you go, and what did you learn? Yeah, so my first elk tag was uh, I actually drew my first elk tag. Um, So it was a rifle early October hunt. Um, So I, you know, took the week off from work didn't know didn't really know what i was doing um just shot out into the back country brought a buddy with me and we camped out 
for I think four or five days before I, I shot a bowl and um, I shot a five point bowl that year and it was just kind of dumb luck I kind of ran into him um, I was busting through some trees to, to get out into the other side uh, where, where I had seen some bulls farther off that I glassed up and uh, I come charging through this timber breaking stuff and just making all types of racket and this bull just rips off a gnarly bugle and uh, I look up and he's like 75 yards in front of me so he <laughs> threw the rifle up and shot and he thought I was another bull coming in more than likely but um, so that's kind of how the first one went. Okay. So you walk up to your first elk, you've killed 15 does and four or five bucks and you walk up to six to 800 pound bull elk. <laughs> what, yeah. what went on your mind right there? Like, what did you think about that? Man, it was, uh, it was kind of surreal walking up to him. You know, it was, and this is in over in Eastern Idaho and just, he died on a shale slide that was super steep and just had really had no idea what I was getting into. I brought one knife and no sharpener and Uh-oh. my buddy had never, had never killed or quartered or packed a bull either. So he didn't know what was going on. This was his first elk hunt too. He just came and tagged along to help. So, and we were in over our heads for sure. It was pretty wild. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, one, not even a knife sharpener. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, did you guys know what to do? Are you pulling up a YouTube video and, or like, how do you guys do it? <laughs> yeah so i had cut up enough deer to know how to get an animal apart which was good it was just uh it was just a hack job not having a i had like an outdoor edge folding you know with folding <laughs> two blade knife with the gut hook on it you know my, the whitetail special oh yeah and, uh, yeah yeah so by the end i'm like tomahawk chopping that thing trying to get through hip joints and i wound up leaving the the bottom half of the, of the legs on so i'd packing out packing out quarters with hooves smacking me in the back of the head because i didn't have enough blade to get them off no nope. you know that's cool that's where you learn man that's the mm-hmm. best like that's school that's the, going to school and learning and and then when you heard that first bugle i mean hooked right like are you just fear, trying to figure out okay how can i hunt these things in september after that encounter exactly so I mean, that whole, the whole pack out, the whole deal there was a, a spectacle and every bit of it was a learning curve. I mean, two and a half mile pack out, bunch of trips. I hadn't eaten all day when I shot the bull and then was so worked up that I didn't eat afterwards and then packed out the first load and then like threw up the whole way back in because I got to the car and chugged two liters of water and ate a bunch of food and turned around, went right back and then was sick the whole rest of the day. So it was fun. But yeah, after, after it kind of sank in and that wore off, I was like, man, I got to figure out how to be able to hunt them more than just when I can draw a tag. So, you know, I looked into the, well, they're over the counter if you do archery and I'll have to learn how to call and, you know, learn how to do things a little better. But yeah, I was, I was hooked for sure. Dude, I love it. So take us to the next episode. I mean, obviously mama bear was probably pretty stoked on how much meat you brought home off one animal. And yeah, mom. Yeah. Uh, My wife, she's a, she's an angel. She, I actually killed that bull on our, oldest son's first birthday so i was away from home she let me take off for the the opener of the season even though it was his birthday and i tried to convince her that someday he'd think that was cool and he would never remember it anyway so (laughs) worst case scenario we could not tell him or lie to him about it but yeah um so yeah she was stoked we had two kids at the time and uh we were living on the air force base and you know not making a bunch of money so having a, a full freezer all winter and spring was definitely a bonus oh yeah 
Okay, so when did you do pick up your first archery elk tag? So the next season, I picked up my first archery elk tag. Um, did some research, kind of figured out what was within reasonable driving distance of me. Um, you know what what the harvest statistics looked like. You know, just started doing all the research I could. Um, I had a pretty I had a pretty boring job at the time, which afforded me a lot of internet time. So I was just re- reading and researching everything I could find, every forum and blog post and YouTube video, and just watching how to how to skin and quarter bulls, how to call bulls, how to find bulls, you know, where they live, what they eat, the, the whole deal. It was just all day, every day for that year leading up to that season. So, um, yeah, I went into, so 2014 was the first one. I shot that bull um, just a couple of weeks before I left for basic training. I was already enlisted, just waiting to get my orders to drop to leave. And I, that was, I got snuck that hunt in right before I, I left. And then the following year, um, I tagged out again on that first archery hunt. Um, it took the majority of the season. I, I shot a, I shot my first six point bull that first archery season um, on like September 24th. So starting to get down to the wire. Okay, so you got to tell us the story, dude. So, how many days were you in the field? Like, tell us about your grind, because that's the thing. That's the allure of elk hunting is embrace the grind, and you will earn a shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 for sure. So the uh, that first year, I hunted. Um, you know, Labor Day weekend. I always pull a long weekend there, depending on where August 30th lines up. So like this year, it's perfect. It's on a Friday. So you get Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, if you can, if you can swing all those days to hunt. So I just, uh, I hunted all those weekends and then I took that whole last week. So whatever, I think it was like uh, on a Wednesday or something that I shot that bull. So I had been in there since probably, well, been bouncing around since Sunday or Monday. So when you went into this new unit, obviously you did some due diligence, um, pretty savvy getting paid to research your hunt. Nice. And <laughs> yeah. uh, did your research pay off or when, when you got there, did everything kind of go to hell in a handbasket and you just kind of had to scramble and find elk? Like, how'd you do it, man? Yeah. So um, finding elk wasn't the hard part, which believe it or not, which is what a lot of guys say. I, I, I feel like I had scouted enough. I really dedicated my whole summer to just, if, if nothing else happened, I was going to get a bull in bow range. And, you know, that was kind of my goal the whole year. So I scouted hard in the summer. I had four or five different spots picked out and ranked kind of A, B, C, D, and went into the A spot and called in a few bulls and messed them up and went into the B spot and called in a few bulls and messed all those up. And then, you know, it was getting down to the wire and I was kind of saving, not going into this one area, just keeping it off, off limits to myself. So it would be, be fresh if I needed it. And, um, we, I got in there, my father-in-law actually came out with me. He came out here on vacation and then shot up into the woods with me to, to go elk hunting. And we got up there, at, I don't know, a half an hour before dark and, uh, rip a bugle off from the spot I had picked out where I could, I could see a little ways and just see if we hear anything before dark. And, uh, this five point bull just comes screaming across the mountain. I mean, at a sprint 
he heard he heard me bugle and was pissed and just comes running over and uh he wound up getting about 15 yards from where i could take a shot at him and with the thermals pulling down the hill and us being above him, he whirled around and took off. But I was like, okay, this, this could be a good spot. <laughs> yeah. One got educated, but hopefully there's more. I yeah. love it when they're that hot. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but I mean, don't be surprised. Like you just might be there the right time. You never know when a cow is hot and they lose their mind. They go crazy. Yeah. So they're, uh, that particular Canyon and that with those few days. So I wound up killing my bull the next morning, but we got up and bugled and didn't get an answer and kind of started dropping in and still wasn't getting anything. And then about eight o'clock, I think as those bulls were working their way up from where they were feeding down in the bottom into into their bedding areas, that that whole canyon just lit off and there was bulls screaming everywhere (laughs) underneath us. So we just kept dropping down and, and calling, trying to in a location and figure out where they were or where they were heading and uh it's a pretty big nasty drop down in so we got in there and um everything shut down didn't hear anything for a while sat down and said you know we'll eat some breakfast and sit down here and figure it out and get our wits about us and sat down for probably 45 minutes and let off a bugle just to see if i could get a response still had a bag of sour patch kids open in my lap and stuff's strewn all over the ground and this bull fires off and i'm like okay i start talking to my my father-in-law and i'm like hey we gotta we're gonna have to get up and do this and go over there and i'm looking at him and his eyes are he's facing me and his eyes are as big as pie plates and he's like we're not gonna have time to do anything he's right there (laughs) and this bull did the same thing the one the, the one the night before did come screaming in angry so i turned around and and uh was looking at this bull didn't know what he was antler wise at all just knew he was a bull and he did exactly what i thought he was going to do because there was a little dry creek bed between us that was wide open he hung up on the other side of it and uh so i'm bugling him he's bugling back at me and uh just from what i had read and kind of was anticipating to happen he started to hook uphill to get the high ground on me and which would also since the sun was beating on that hillside give him a give him a a spot to scent check so i kind of sprinted up the hill after him and and tucked myself into a little open spot and ranged across the creek bed figuring where he'd come out to try to look over at me and he stepped right into that whole broadside and turned and looked and i sent an arrow across the creek and sunk it in him game over Yep, 54 yards. I can still see those fletchings spinning in my head. It was it was a cool shot. I uh, love it. And then your father-in-law, was that his first experience getting an elk broke down and packed out? Yep. First, first that, I mean, those couple days was his first time being really being out in the mountains in Idaho at all and hearing an elk bugle and seeing a bull, you know. And so he just got the full, the full Monty, and then he was hooked after that too. So he's been out a couple more times, but. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I he was pretty flabbergasted too by the whole experience. It was it was pretty wild. So, bro, you're telling me you're like batting a thousand. You're two for two. Elk hunting's not hard. <laughs> yeah, well, I got a little cocky the third year. All right, all right, let's get into it. <laughs> so, yeah, so year three, I'm like, oh man, you know this this wasn't that hard, and uh, start to get a little confident, maybe a little too much. 
I'm like, all right, I'm going to start passing bulls this year. You know, I'm going to shoot a 300, it's 300 or bust, you know? And, uh, so I, uh, I get out opening weekend, the third season and, um, same deal, same spot. I went back in there, scouted it out in the summer. It was still full of elk, went back in, um, passed up, passed. This is doing the same thing, the long weekend. Uh, I pass up a, a five point, call him in and just let him mill around at 15 yards and wander off. And then call in the five by six, same deal, pass on that bull. Um, the following morning, I get a bull that's just sounds angry. He's got hot cows. I can tell the other ones were still bachelored up. They were, they actually came in together and then split off. And then I called them in one at a time, just milling around making cow sounds. And, uh, but this bull, the following day is like, something was different. He was, he was heated. So I got in on top of that bull and called him in. He turned out to be a big six by seven, which had a double fourths on one side, just a super cool bull. Oh man. And yeah. I, so I was standing on one side of a ridgeline and he was on the other with his cows and challenged him. We got into a little bugling match and I hit him with a, a hard challenge and then ran straight at his cows and busted all the cows up and then hit him with another one. And he comes flying over the ridge straight at me. I have him at eight yards and no shot. All I can see is his neck and his head and antlers. And he's facing me, but he's above me and, you know, with a big bush, bushes and stuff in front of him. So I don't have a shot. So I just play it as cool as I can and just be quiet and let him kind of get confused and wander off and then. I climb up onto the ridgeline where I can see him. He's working his way back down and just hit him with another challenge. And he turns around and comes right back on the string. So here I am thinking, you know, I've got, I've done everything but hang the antlers up. I'm like, oh, it's game over, you know. He's, he's coming in hot. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but he takes a, he takes a bad line. I'm expecting him to come straight towards me. And what he does is, which like, you know, at a quartering angle where I would have had a shot thinking he's going to go to the last place he heard me, which was over the other side of the ridge. He doesn't do that at all. Elk being elk. Um, he walks, he takes like a 90 degree angle again and comes straight towards me again. And this was before, long before I would have been confident in a frontal shot or had understood elk anatomy enough to even take that shot. Uh, so he's coming straight at me and he keeps coming and he keeps coming until um i get the bow drawn and he steps behind this little sapling and he's still coming and he sticks his head out and he's like six feet from the end of my arrow and uh he's looking right at me he knows something's not right so he flinches real hard just does that little that little you know drops his front shoulders real fast and just staring at me to see if i move yep and man, I shook so hard. <laughs> that bull whirled around and took off. And uh, I tried to tried to set the pin on him and, and send an arrow kind of as he was still that close and wound up just, I think the arrow rattled off his antlers. I was so shook up. And then he stopped at 25 yards and broadside and looked back at me and stood there for five seconds while I tried to knock another arrow and then took off down the mountain on oh. miles an hour. So, man that was rough. That was a rough one. So that, 
that season kept getting better. Um, called in another bull the following weekend, didn't get a shot. Um, then my father-in-law came back out and we hunted together for a week. Um, I really wanted him to get a bull too. So he shot an absolute pig of a bull, probably one of the biggest bulls I've ever seen. He's probably going to cry listening to this, but, um, uh, which we couldn't find. Um, through, I, I still don't know what happened there. I was, the shot looked good. I, I called the bull in for him. He shot plenty of blood and we just tracked that bull until it disappeared. And it was just one of those deals, you know? So, so do you, when you looked at the shot, like were you standing over his shoulder when he shot or were you calling? So I was, I was calling, I was down the hill, just maybe 20 yards behind him. And I saw the arrow. I saw, I saw the shot. And from where I was at, it looked good. But where, from where he was, he thought he might have been a little forward. But that bull didn't go. I mean, he only went 60 yards and laid down. Oh, no. So we're thinking, okay, we got, there's a dead, there's going to be a dead bull there, you know. And uh, in hindsight, we didn't give him enough time. We only backed out for, I don't know, an hour being two kind of newbie, impatient hunters. And, uh, went back up to where we thought he was at and then just bumped him and all those cows were still hanging around cause he was cowed up too. Okay. So he was cowed up and he, he made it back to his cows is what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. When, after the shot, he turned around and went back to the cows and then just laid down. And I, I think knowing that the shot was marginal and given that bull, you know, a lot, more, a lot more time. I think we would have had a dead bull. I still think that bull died somewhere. Yeah. Um, but we just, we just unfortunately didn't know any better at the time and, and bumped him out of there. And then, you know, you got a bull that's with a marginal hit that's running. It's that's no good. Yeah, it's it's the science of how to recover an elk with a bow. You know, it can be really easy. It can be. 20 to 50 yard blood trail piled up a lot of times you hear him crash um but a couple things i mean we should might as well go over this now is once you make that shot you need to exactly memorize or flag right exactly where you were standing and a lot of times i'll just listen for a few minutes after the shot and uh, i'm usually solo so i don't have to tell anyone to shut shut up don't move don't get in your backpack (laughs) or yep. worry about anyone else's scent. And I immediately want to know what the wind's doing. I don't want my wind blowing towards the animal that has been shot. The other thing that you can consider is once you've flagged or marked or got a really good line on where your arrow went, I'd always flag because you you want to go down to where that animal was eventually and stand and look back to see where your flag is. So you just flag where you shot. I think that's just a, a it should be a rule. But a lot of times I'll just, once I get it flagged, kind of get a line listened didn't hear him crash or whatever just slowly kind of back out a little bit not too far but maybe off that ridge or off that finger or out of that saddle or whatever you're at but just try to get out depending on how i feel about the shot will dictate kind of how much time you know a lot of times you're not 100 percent sure or sometimes you're overconfident in your guys's Mm -hmm. case which is really common and so either way, it doesn't hurt to give it a full hour, just a full hour before you even go look for your arrow. And depending on if you didn't take a broadside shot, you got to realize, okay, if it wasn't a broadside shot, 
the chances of that arrow making it all the way through a bowl, unless you shoot Lincoln logs, is pretty slim to none. And so you back out, you wait your hour at least, then you go down and you go look for where the bull spun, look for his tracks, maybe look for an arrow. If you can find an arrow, don't you think that's like pretty gonna like that's gonna really tell you what your next step is? Yeah, for sure. I'm what that arrow looks like when you find it is a big one. Or a lot of times, like I've only found a piece of an arrow, and you know, if you've got, if you don't have the fletchings or the, or the broadhead, you got a, a middle section there somewhere, and it's just coated. You know, you can usually tell what's going on. Um, these last couple that I've shot, we've reluctantly in, installed a, a two-hour minimum wait time to even mess around. And nice. now what I'll do is, uh, if I'm hunting some real thick stuff, and that bull's exit line, I, I can't tell where he went up more than maybe a couple yards. Um, I'll just take a picture from where I shot and kind of put my finger in the frame of where the bull was standing when I shot him. Love it. Love it. Um, that way I don't even have to encroach that. My, my shots for some reason seem to be a little on the longer side. Um, I think that's one of the things where you have to deal with if you're calling bulls in solo is kind of maybe I'm shooting them in, in kind of that hang up range. Um, but yeah, rather than if, if I can't see where he went, then I'm not even going to go over to where he was standing. Cause it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he whirled around and went 20 yards and laid down. So, especially if they don't know what happened. No there. doubt. And that terrain d- d- dictates a lot of far, as far as the bull coming in, how close, if you're calling solo, you know, my backyard is thick. And so I can get him to come in really, really close. Um, yep. solo, but uh, other States it's, it's way harder and they are longer yeah. shots. And even the, even, I mean, the Southern part of Idaho, where you get into that more open country, rocky stuff and there's just, just not as dense. So it's, it's real easy for a bull to see where you're calling from, from 60 yards. I mean, they've got you pegged. So, man. So then, so 2016, you missed a six by seven and your buddy yeah. drilled a giant. Are you guys out of time at this point or do you have any more time left to hunt yeah so we, we hunted that following day still kind of right in that same area hoping we'd, we'd pick that bull up again some maybe something else would happen just we didn't want to take off and just give up completely you know but yeah um that was pretty much it for him he had to go back to pa and i went back out the following weekend uh which was the last weekend of the season it's like the 27th 8th and 9th or something like that so i i took took off for that weekend and got in the woods on i think i took a long weekend got in the woods on friday morning um get a mile from the truck rip a bugle off of this ridge uh, a different spot now and get an answer start working towards him you know give another one and he's on top of me so i have another bull come screaming in um, get him, get him within range, can see him. He steps into a, a spot below me on the hill. Pretty, seems like a good setup, 40 yard shot. I've got vitals, you know, and loose an arrow and my arrow hits a little green branch about the size of a pencil right in front of this bowl and snaps in half and falls. It was like it hit a brick wall. I still don't know what happened. So I get up there, find the arrow, no blood, nothing. 
it's I mean the whole arrow is there just laying split in half and laying right where the bull was standing so um, knowing that I didn't hit the bull and I kind of get out of that little patch of timber and, and peek around and I can see him and he's hightailing it around to the other side of the mountain and uh, I give a couple of more cow calls and one of his cows decided to stick around and starts starts answering me back and milling her way towards me and I figured well this season's just about a wrap and there's about two days left and this was a, a sure thing so took a cow that year on that last weekend nice man freezer full three for three elk hunting's easy that's yeah well yeah i learned some hard lessons that year but yeah so that was a solo that one you know um late september it was like 85 that day so oh that was, god that was yeah it was it was rough that wasn't a fun pack out by myself so. even on a cow man they're huge um okay so yeah still a big animal Talk to me about you, your weekend warrioring it, and then you have your your time, and then it doesn't pan out, and then you have another work week ahead of you. Dude, how do yep. you function as an adult with elk bugling in the mountains, and you're not in the mountains because you have to be an adult? How does that go down? It's brutal, man. It's brutal, especially when at the time I was, I had a very boring job where I would... <laughs> do nothing most of the day and just occupying your brain that through that week and, and dealing with you know the, hey this season might be a failure i had you know i didn't capitalize on all these opportunities called in all these bulls and missed or you know made bad shots hit branches just and then thinking man i passed on two bulls like an idiot you know <laughs> it's too much time so, to think man like that it, would it i would just kill myself in just regret or like what ifs or scenarios and just be like daydreaming and I would be apps. So I got a taste of this last year. And the reason why I said, I asked about that is because I've been fortunate enough to elk hunt most September's almost, I just have always arranged my life to where I will quit a job. I need to hunt. Like I'm a super elk addict, like the true definition. And so last year, um, I've talked about the story a ton of times. So the bottom line is I had to leave a, a Nevada hunt. I got a bull, but I had a, a whole month ahead of me. I, I killed that bull September 2nd, and I had two Idaho elk tags. Had to jam back to take care of Mama Bear. She had an accident with the skill soft. And so she was basically telling me, like, hey, I can't do anything. So we have two kids. Like, I'm sorry, but you, you're not going to be able to go elk hunting this year. And I had already gone elk hunting. Like, I had been elk hunting for 10 days in Nevada. It was awesome. But like, just like I didn't have a chance to go back to my favorite places in Idaho, I was like literally depressed, man. I was just sitting there like depressed. I was trying to like do everything on our house to distract myself. Um, you know what I mean? So my heart goes out to guys that have to weekend warrior it. And I think it takes a special breed and it takes a huge support system for you to like, you're at work all week and, and then you're just telling your family and your spouse, you're like, Okay, Friday at 5, I'm out. I'm heading straight to the mountain. I'll see you late Sunday night. Hopefully, I have blood on my hands. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So not, how... Not come, you know, saying your goodbyes Thursday night, knowing you're going to bail straight out from work Friday. Yeah. And Yeah, and um, it hasn't always been smooth sailing, but my wife understands how much it means to me and how important it is and that I, 
I, she doesn't want me around if I can't get out and get elk hunting. So it's gotten to that point where she's like, yeah, I'd rather just have you out there and be, be happy when you get home than be sulking around the house and be miserable. So, yeah, I, I think I could do a pretty good job of bringing everybody else down around me if I wasn't out <laughs> elk hunting. Um, yeah. Yeah. She knows. I get super paranoid about this time of year. It's, uh, this, this podcast is dropping here in August, but it's, we're recording in July and I just did a dumbass thing and cut myself pretty good with a chainsaw. Luckily, oh, no. yeah, I've just for the record, I'm not new to chainsaws. I own three different chainsaws. I'm huge into firewood and chainsaws, but like apparently I haven't respected chainsaws very much because I didn't wear chaps on this particular day and I wasn't doing a ton of cutting, but I was just doing a little bit and uh, my biggest, my biggest bar saw uh, it just kicked on me and, and it got me and I didn't even really, I like, I looked down, I was like, Oh man, I just ruined these jeans. I didn't even know it got me. And I just kept cutting until I could feel stuff like dripping down my leg. And so I pulled my leg up and I was just like, the first thought was like stitches. And the immediate second thought was, did I just like cut through a tendon? Like I thought for sure, like I might've just screwed my hunting season up. And so I get really paranoid this time of year on what movements I do when I work out. Um, I don't like climbing ladders. I just was climbing ladders today, painting in our house. I was just like, dude, make sure you got everything. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this time of year, the stakes are high. And so So, do you ever go through that? um, Yeah. Yeah. My buddies probably vouch for that. I get, um, I'm very, very hyper focused in late August. And I, I start getting the pressure on me like, okay, you know, it's almost time. This is what we do. This is what we prepare for all year. Like you can't mess this up, you know? And, uh, I get kind of weird, man. I get, I get real anxious in those, those last two weeks of August. So right around this time it starts coming out and kind of, kind of disappear from talking to people. And I'm just buried in my own head about what's going to happen and kind of trying to manifest the season before it, before it starts, you know, like I'm, it's 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 high pressure for me. I put a lot of weight on myself to to make it happen. You know, so. it's a good pressure. It's a positive pressure. It's a pressure like nothing else. Most no, most people that don't hunt don't even like have something to look forward to all year. Um, you know what I mean? Like something to train for. A why we are so. That's why I always say we are blessed to be elk hunters because it's just fuel to drive everything else in your life. Um, I want to get through the rest of your. 2017 and 18 seasons we're gonna we're gonna come back to that we're gonna circle back but while we're on the topic of personal development um i know for a fact that you are a crossfitter and we ain't afraid to talk about crossfit on this podcast because that shit works and i can prove it but uh when did you get hooked into crossfit like how'd that go down so i was a uh crossfit hater for a while um talked a lot of smack on CrossFit like everybody does because you know things things that are popular that people don't understand they they attack to make up for that um so that's I was in that boat for a while and uh it actually when I was in tech school so after basic training for the Air Force um at my specialty school I wound up going through there with a guy uh still a good buddy of mine another Dan Dan Smith uh he's a cat from Indiana um and he is a monster in the gym, um, like a, just just a freak athlete, um, clean and jerks, 400 pounds, just, just a monster. And uh, so I started talking to him, and 
you know, kind of talking a little shit cause I was running a lot at the time and about how I was smoking him on the track. And, uh, he was like, well, come to the gym man. I'll, I'll put you through a 15 minute workout. That'll, you know, put you on your knees begging for your life. I was like, all right. So, so I started going to the gym with him and he wasn't kidding. We were doing, we were doing these little wads that he was making up and it was just, just destroying me. I'd never been gassed like that before in my life. I was like, man, this is the real deal. So, um, I was like, you got to teach me everything you can in the next two months before, before we part ways. And that's what happened. I left there. I kind of left there a believer and, uh, was just doing, um, he was doing programming for me for a while after that, like right up until last summer, even. So for a couple of years, every once in a while, I just hit him up and be like, Hey man, I got, got this big event coming or I'm doing a race or, Hey, I want to focus on getting stronger for the next two months. Like, you know, what should I do? And he was, he'd shoot me a bunch of different workouts and, you know, we'd put our times up against each other and kind of use him as a, as a measuring post for myself. So, you know, I was, I was basically, I was doing CrossFit and just doing it solo on my own, um, at the gym I had access to on the base for a couple of years and just, just recently, just this year in February, um, got hooked up with an actual CrossFit gym here in Nampa at Snake River, and, okay. uh, which is an, an awesome place. That's been my second home the last couple of months. So, yeah, yeah, they have that really cool community component um, to them, and you know, I I operated one for eleven years, but I've been telling people I've been doing CrossFit for just about twelve. Dude, that's a long time to not get bored, and I still don't get bored. And every workout's a challenge. Every workout's an opportunity to quit, throw the towel in, let up, take your foot off the pedal. And when you don't, you build that mental capacity, which is obviously a strength of yours, man. You're a grinder in the mountains. You're three for three. We can get back into CrossFit if you want. But uh, I don't <laughs> we think might, people... We'll probably circle back knowing the two of us. But Yeah, yeah. like... The bottom line is if you're listening you're like man i'm tired of hearing about it hey it works and yeah and I, if you're a crossfit hater i'm telling you suck it up go to a box go to whatever your local crossfit place is and just check it out just just try to give it an, an unbiased review it's it's probably not what you think it is i'm gonna add on so. that if you're cheap skate which i'm super cheap or extremely merciless frugal on stuff that i don't care about conversely i will spend extravagantly on the things that i am passionate about yep. fortunately for me i'm only passionate about a couple things it's elk hunting with a bow and fitness so uh, those filters um if you are a cheapskate and you're like dude i ain't paying 150 bucks a month for whatever i don't know what they charge at your box but let's just say 150 a month I, i'm telling you go do it go find a good box Go prepay. If they have like one-year contracts, trust me. I used to own one. Like you can wheel and deal. Pull the owner aside. Be like, bro, uh, I'm only here for three months. Can I prepay? They'll, I'll pay you cash. They'll they'll say yes every time. Guaranteed. Just prepay three months. Go in there. Be a sponge. Learn how to move well. Learn how to not be a dumbass and get hurt. And then take that 150 bucks a month and start putting it towards your garage gym. First thing you're going to buy is just probably a pair of dumbbells and then maybe a sandbag and then maybe you're going to buy some plywood and build your plyo box but like i am on yep. the fence dan of building 
um, CrossFit-ish functional fitness programs for elk hunters specifically. I don't really want to, but I think that there's I get enough messages where like I feel like I should maybe start providing. I do have some programs on ElkShape.com that are kind of like three week programs, four week per, like real quick. But like I was thinking about actually providing a workout of the day down the road. I'm still not sure. I already have the name for it though, so maybe I, it's I'm gonna call it elk parking. But um, it's nowhere on my like must do right now. So don't worry if you're a competitor and listening to this podcast and worry that I'm gonna start providing workouts for hunters. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm busy already doing my. I'm staying in my lane. But I call it elk parking because I don't park in my garage anymore, Dan. I still can go to the gym I used to own. I got a lifetime membership there, and I do. I was there today, but. Tomorrow morning, I, my wife's working. I'll be in my garage gym. So check it out. Here's what I got. I got. I can't park in there because I got a, enough equipment, but I got a squat rack, right? Clutch. I bet I could name everything you got. Okay, go. <laughs> well, you have a squat rack, which means you definitely have a barbell and a bunch of bumper plates. Copy. Um, you probably have a rower. I, do, I don't have a rower. I have oh. – I'm like – wait. So – I'm not going to buy coming, one. It's coming though, isn't it? It's coming. It's coming. I'm, I'm like trying to find one on uh, Facebook marketplace. Um, I'm trying to pull the Josh Bridges and find some, some guy who doesn't know what he has and has it for sale in a garage sale for 50 bucks. Yeah. But, so, so when I, when we bought this house in Nampa, man, the, the guy had a, uh, a legitimate gym set up, like anchor bolted into the third car garage bay. Um, yes, just a giant rack, chin up station, Olympic pad. And, uh, the guy, he wouldn't leave it with the house, man. I was oh. like, hey, I'll I'll write it into the offer. Just leave everything here. You don't have to move it. And uh, yeah, it didn't happen. So I was kind of bummed. <laughs> no, dude, that would have been sweet. No, for monostructural, I have a ski erg, which is weird, over a rope. But I I have a ski erg, and I have an assault bike. Um, my it, favorite piece of equipment in the gym, buddy. I mean, it's the only thing that like you'll never tame. Just like a mountain, you just never really tame a mountain. You can't tame an assault bike, man. She's wild. She's the devil. And <laughs> just when you think you got that thing figured out, it'll it'll eat your breakfast, man. For it's, sure. It's, it's a, a nasty machine. It's like a fan bike for those and you use your arms and your legs. It's really yeah. it's really anaerobic. Lactic acid will get pumped. The other things we got is just uh, we got one kettlebell, one medicine ball that's a twenty pound wall ball, and a couple different jump ropes, like some weighted and some speed ropes. And we got the box, and then I do have a weight vest. But yeah. I do – I think my next purchase is going to be – and you'll relate to this. I'm thinking about getting a yoke, which is like something you can carry on your back for weight. Um, look them up if you don't know. But uh, Rogue makes this one that is pretty tall, so I can take it outside and use it as a squat rack. I can take it nice. outside and use it as a place to put rings on to do like ring work, muscle-ups and whatnot. And, um, and you can still just use it as a, a pull-up bar or a yoke. What do you think about that? That sounds pretty solid. Well, as much space as you have, too, you'd be able to do some good, some good yoke workouts and actually have room to move around with that thing. If your space is limited, it doesn't make much sense, but I don't think. But Well, since you're a functional fitness guy, um, have you messed with shooting under duress, like high heart rate, like back like, – I'm going to call it train to hunt for lack of a better term, just to give my buddy Kenton a shout out. But like, have you done much of that? No, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I've been, 
I, I think is kind of as soon as I got out here and started bow hunting at all in Idaho, that was, I started doing that. So I'll just do 10 burpees and shoot, you know, and just, just one arrow, you know, yep. and then do 15 air squats and shoot. And then, you know, do, do 10 push ups and then shoot while standing on one foot. So you're like golf stable and you're out of breath, you know? So I'll, I'll play that game with myself for sure. What have you uh, learned by doing that? Um, I think more than anything, when you're, when you're winded and you're, you're, you're out of your usual comfort zone, you rush, you try to overcompensate. And, uh, as soon as your pin, you know, floats over, you send an arrow and it, and it ends badly. So I think even if your heart rate is through the roof and your, your feet are unstable and you, whatever else is going on, if you still have to go through the process and it might seem like it's taken forever and it's, you know, an extra half a second to make sure your anchor points in the right spot. You know, your, your, your knuckles, like I choose my knuckle on the back of my jaw and my nose on the string and, you know, kind of just settle into whatever your normal process is before, before your finger even touches the trigger and you're going to be way better off rather than trying to trying to shoot between breaths or whatever, whatever it is guys do when they're all jacked up. Well, I was always trying to think like, have I ever actually shot a bull while not wearing a backpack? And I looked back through last 16 years and I couldn't think of one incident where I didn't have a backpack on. That's a good and point. Then, Shooting with the pack on his clutch and like, the, the bino harness, like practice how you play the whole deal. For sure. For sure. And then like, I don't think my heart rate's ever been low. Like when a bull, when I know a bull's coming or even I've ambushed a lot of bulls just getting out in front and waiting like the anticipation, mm-hmm. like heart rate is always high, always high. Not like shaking adrenaline high, but just like elevated to the point where like it ain't at resting heart rate, bro. So I, I see a lot of value in that. I think um, I know we're recording here in July, but like uh, this next week, I finally just called and text a bunch of buddies. I might even put it on Instagram for anyone who lives locally. I'm gonna put it out there. Like, come to my house. I'm gonna put us all in teams. We're going to do a little physical fitness shoot off and we're going to add a little pressure and I love shooting with people because it adds pressure. I shot with a couple buddies the other night. They came over and dude, one of the guys shot so much better than I ever prejudged him to be able to shoot. You know what I mean? You, mm-hmm. you, they bust out the bow that's like five years old and like you can tell the bow's been in the case a little while and you're like, oh, dude, I'm going to smoke you. I'm on my home field advantage. No, I did. I mean, he shot pretty good. I was really impressed. He shot really good. And uh, I just like that camaraderie. And, and so I, I'm going to piece something. I'm like basically advertising my goal, so I do it. But, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there and invite people to come over. And uh, uh, the only admission is probably a microbrew, like bring me a beer. And uh, there you go. we'll go shoot. But, okay, I want to get back, man. 2017, so you are – Three for three, you lucky sumbi. You shot one with the rifle. You yep. shot a good bull. You shot a cow. You made it happen last day. And here you are, 2017. What's your mindset going into this? Because you're not doing CrossFit yet, but you're running a lot. And yeah, still, still doing. Yeah, I was doing CrossFit, but on my own. You know, okay. just at the gym. Putting, okay. Doing wads that I had put together and stuff like that. So yeah, just. It's still running a ton too. I've always been into been into the distance and endurance work. So like you do um, pretty long races, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, I uh I did 
you know, some done some full marathons and I did a 50 K last year and, um, did another one this year and then was supposed to do a 50 miler and, uh, wound up having to pull out of that one with some, some medical stuff, but back on track now. So race season's kind of shot now and we're just going into the hunting year, but yeah, yeah, I got told I was going to have to have surgery back in May and that I needed to cool it down on the running and probably shouldn't exert myself too much. So I was like, well, still going to work out every day still going to do the the death hike with the exo guys and i just won't do any of the the other races that i had planned so pulled out of a bunch of stuff but yeah you that's think you're, always to, you're in a good spot now yep yep turned out turns out it was uh not what they thought it was and we're good to go so well, back on track that's really that's really good to hear man i we can't take our health for granted but uh before we get into 17 i, I thought of a question like so I've run a couple of Spartan races. Um, they were like just over 13, a lot of elevation. And that's about as far as I've ever really ran. I, I'm, not, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of running. It's not like super fun for me. But I got to be honest, Dan, like it's not that hard for me. Like I really think running, it comes naturally to me. I'm like actually probably born to run. I love running as far as it doesn't really – it's not like doing some crappy CrossFit workout. You know, I enjoy. Yeah. you can enjoy it while you're doing it for the most part. But – um my question for you is like doing all these runs and integrating them with some of your functional fitness. How does your body respond after these races? Um, are you able to jump right back in or what's a good, good advice for that? Yeah. So I think it kind of depends on, on what the race is, but usually I'm pretty banged up for about two days and then I'm, I'm right back after it. Okay. Getting, getting the workouts in. Um, I'll try to be really cognizant of kind of how tight my, knees usually are and hips and and stuff that first week after a big race so you know i don't go straight from a 50k into heavy squat day or anything like that you know i try to i'll do my first couple workouts will be more geared towards just getting my heart rate up getting loose kind of kind of more recovery mode still um just because i think that's the smart thing to do at being uh you know in my 30s and and having things to work out you know a reason to work out other than just work the sake of working out you know i got we have goals in mind, so hurting myself in the summer at a race doesn't make any sense when really all I'm doing it just for is to gear up for the fall. So That makes sense. I think the Spartan Beast I did two years ago, I was pretty cross-fit at the time. I didn't train for it. I just did it on the weekend. Did really well. I, I placed for my age group, which is just like a participation trophy, but I did well. And then I remember that Monday, I was like, dude, I'm squatting. It's Monday. And I think I barely, like 300 pounds is what I squatted that day. And it felt like a one rep max. I barely got it up. And um, so this year I did that same race and I was like, okay, I got to squat again and see where I'm at. And I was able to do, I don't know, I think I think I did 335 for a double. And don't think I have a good squat because I don't. That squat is like the one thing I feel like is one of my biggest weaknesses. I've never squatted over 400 pounds ever. But um my point was that this year I just trained a little bit different. I actually did a lot more um, like longer Metcon pieces, longer like 45 to 60 minute uh, once a week kind of hero type workouts if you're into CrossFit. And yep. that really helped, I think, as far as just being able to jump back in and not lose a, the, the tightness and stuff. But the mobility is like my least favorite thing to do. But I would tell you like it's probably the, the direction I'm headed, Dan, as I get older is – less less wad time and more 
in front of the TV, chilling with the family, rolling on a lacrosse ball, doing some rom wads and, and yoga, believe it or not. You know what I mean? Yoga is awesome for sure. But, uh, yeah. So that's like, um, actually since I started going to the box, like my, my fitness level is getting better and I'm working out less. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of the workouts that I was putting myself through were just 45 minutes to an hour of straight grind, you know, like, Oh yeah. Um, two mile run and then 40 of this and 50 box jumps and, uh, you know, and then another sandwiched in another two mile run and just, just getting after it. And I don't, I, I'm starting to, it's funny cause I had felt like when I was just doing the wads that the gym was programming and then kind of doing a little bit on my own, I was like, man, I'm, I'm like missing out here. I got to get more. I must go to two classes a day or something. And it's, it's really, it's been the opposite, which has been kind of a, a strange eye opener, something I didn't expect, but that's really cool to hear. I think, I do think less is more for the most part. And it's all about your effort. And, and, you know, every workout has a start and an end. It's what you do between those two points is where you get, you know, make your money. And then obviously the kitchen where you make your food, but, uh, we'll get into food at the very end here. Um, 2017 season, the dude's three for three. Um, you're getting psycho about hunting, and you're pretty committed all or none. I can tell that in your personality, which is why I like you. And uh, tell us about that season. <laughs> yeah, so 20s, we're at 2017. Um, I recruited a new hunting buddy over the summer, my pal Mike. Um, we met on Instagram, met in person down in Salt Lake at the show, decided we were going to do a few hunts together, kind of see what happened. So, um, Opening weekend, we head out, same deal, long weekend, um, head into, this is a, a new unit this time. So the first, uh, these first bunch of elk I killed, I hadn't killed any of them in the same unit twice. I'd just been grasses, grass is always greener type guy and bouncing around. Yeah. So we're going into a, a new unit again. Um, opening day, not much going on. Um, we call a bull in uh, for Mike. He can't get a shot at it you know, hunt till dark, pack up, drive three hours, check out a different area. You know, it's opening weekend. So we're kind of scouting while we're hunting, you know, just kind of getting a feel. Maybe it'll be hot later on. We'll get some, you know, get some good Intel while we're out. Um, so kind of the same thing, a different day. We hunt all day. We get one bull to answer us. Um, don't, don't get a shot again. I think it was, I don't remember what happened there, but the third day of the weekend, um, we do the same thing. We pack up, drive all night. We hit this, we hit the, the trailhead at one o'clock in the morning, um, crash for a couple hours in the back of the truck. Uh, we wake up and it turns out we weren't at the trailhead. We were, we had missed it. <laughs> so we get over to where we're, where we were going. And, uh, there's like 15 rigs parked here. Oh my gosh. Just, it's crawling with guys. So we're like, okay. Quick recap of the map, spin around to the other side, like just the other direction, um, hit up a different spot, and there's six rigs at this trailhead. We're like, well, six is less than 12. Let's go make it happen. You know? <laughs> so um, so I, it's kind of funny. We check. I'm standing here, and I'm looking over the valley, and I'm like, well, this side of it looks super sexy. You know, it's got all these little North facing timbered ridges, you know, everything South is open grass and good feed. It just looks like what you think of when you think elk country. 
and the other side is just steep, thick timber. As far as you can see, rock, jagged rocks, just nasty looking. And I'm like, well, I bet you money every one of these six guys is over on that nice looking side. So let's go over here and see what happens. And uh, we climb up. We get in about a mile, climb up 800 feet or so from kind of the valley floor where we were at and get up onto this knob that I figured would be a good spot for a bull to be laying and rip a bugle and get an answer. So the chase starts. We start side-hilling around the mountain after this bull and um, just just cow-calling our way to him and getting an answer every once in a while, figuring we're, we're dialing in where he's at. So... We get over and we're like, all right, he's got to be right here somewhere. Um, it's my turn to be the shooter. So I get out in front of Mike and I start creeping and uh, I stop and I'm like, okay, Mike's he's in position, stops behind me 50 or 60 yards and he cow calls and this bull stands up maybe 20 yards, 15 yards from where I'm at. He was just laying there asleep or something. I don't know. So <laughs> Mike cow calls and this bull stands up and starts walking towards him. And uh, if he keeps going towards Mike, I'm going to have a broadside shot at like 10 yards. It's a perfect setup. But he gets, he's got the high ground and he gets right behind a tree to where I can't see his vitals and can see where Mike's calling from. And figures out that there's not a cow there and just turns, turns around and bolts. Um, so I, I cow call and get him to stop at 50 and take a shot at him and miss. Um, did you get, shot. did you range him? I didn't, I didn't have time to range him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I shot right over his back at what I figured be 45 yards. Yep. Um, so kind of a heartbreaker, man, that was, that was my, if you do everything right, man, I, you get really kind of one solid good opportunity. So that was my first miss of that year. And I'm like, man, this is not a good way to start the season. Um, so then I, this is a weird series of events on that day. Then we, we, so I, I shoot that shoot at that bull. Can't find the arrow. Then we lose the lens cap to my camera. Cause we're trying to film. Been there, done and that. And then, Yep, and then Mike loses one of his trekking poles, which is like... Haven't done that, but that sucks. Yeah, so we're we're a hot mess at this point. Um, We had been hiking a couple hours to get up to where this bull was, so we're like, you know, we'll do the the old sit-down and get something to eat thing and take a little nap, a little little afternoon September nap, um, which has been... which is a proven game-changer. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a napper. I always just sit there, but <laughs> I like to, have, I like to have a little quiet time and kind of regroup sometimes. Oh, for sure. It was, wasn't, wasn't all bad. So bust out the sour patch kids, which uh, I'm not sponsored by sadly. Maybe you I should be, like should be. Yeah, definitely should be. Um, and, uh, so we make another game plan and Mike's like, well, let's go down and, you know, go across to the other side or something. I'm like, man, I just got a feeling this bull's still in here. I don't think he knows what happened. We had good wind. You know, he didn't see where I shot from. Like, let's just, let's just hook around this side of the mountain here and, and keep calling. And we went another 200 yards maybe. And I bugled again and he answered again, same bugle, same bull as 
before for sure 100 percent so i get mike set up to be the shooter i'm like okay man you know this we find a good spot we pretty much have him pegged where he's at and where he's going to come from um so i get mike set up and i fall back and start doing my little opening morning routine calling this bull over and uh I can't see Mike from where I am. It's just super thick. It's all regrowth. There's deadfall everywhere. It's it's just a nasty little spot. It was everything we had pictured going in there. It was just a mess of a, of a place. Um, so I'm standing there calling for 20 minutes or so, and I start hearing some twigs popping and stuff, and looking around, and I I can see these. I see some black hooves, man. Just start walking and they're past Mike and coming towards me. So I, uh, I got to make a plan in a hurry and bolt kind of towards the, like a quartering angle towards the bull. Cause he's trying to hook around me. I could just tell the way he was like the angle he took, um, thinking I wouldn't be able to see him. And he, so I kind of took off towards him, but at a 45 to get out in front of him to let him walk into a spot where I'd be able to shoot. So take off, find a little opening that goes down the hill, you know, a decent lane that I'd be able to shoot through and, uh, just stood there and waited for him at full draw. And sure enough, a minute later he stepped in and I had a cow call in my mouth and hit it and he stopped and sent an arrow in at 45 and, uh, another six point. So, huh. so oh, was Mike, what was Mike doing? Like what happened? What was his version of the story? Mike had no idea what happened. Never saw the bull. <laughs> Didn't hear me move. Never saw yeah. the bull. Never heard the bull. Nothing. He was 50 yards from me and might as well have been two miles away because the stuff was just so nasty. Um, so I go, I shot and then um, hung my hat where I was standing when I shot. And it was literally the only direction I could shoot in. So I knew right where the bull was when I shot and just didn't go down there and mark it. Cause that was another one of those deals where he took two steps and was gone. Yeah. No idea where he went. Mm-hmm. So we went over, I went over to get Mike and he's like, uh, what, what happened? Why are you here? And I'm like, man, that bull's gone. And he's like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, trust me, man, that you're not going to shoot that bull. I'm like, just give up. He's like, what? I don't understand. Like, what are you trying to say? I'm like, dude, that bull is, he's over there with like, 27 inches of arrow in him man (laughs) like i just shot him so we start freaking out you know he's he's pumped yeah um i told him i'm like dude it looked good but i don't know i didn't hear him go down i don't know you know so we that was when the the two hour minimum got enacted i i started uh any now when i shoot a bull i take my boots off um that's just my my new rule of thumb for the past couple of seasons and it stops me from getting antsy and walking around and creeping up and looking for things you know yep so i sit down take off my boots i throw them 10 feet away and i that's it i just sit there so yeah we gave that bull two hours and got back over there and to where to where i shot i stood at where i shot and then guided mike down right to where the bull was standing and um he got down there and looked down found a drop of blood so I ran down to him and took about two more steps and looked up and that bull was laying like 40 yards away. No so, way. So you are yeah. four for four. Elk hunting's easy. Four for four. 
So, still not calling it easy, but yeah, four. Then that was uh, September second. So first, first opening weekend bull should have been the second opening weekend bull because I should have shot that six by seven the year before. But that's yeah, story. Hey man, those are the ones that keep you hungry. Um, I guess we got time for 2018. We'll have to go fast. We're over an hour, but uh, sorry to keep you. But I gotta hear 2018 if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. I'll, I'll shorten this one up. Um, 2018, um, back in a spot that I, I, I knew, was familiar with. Um, this is another good perseverance story that you like. We uh, we had a bunch of mechanical failures and rigs break down. Um, missed opening day completely. Mm. Um, got into the woods August 31st. Got set up in a spot where I had a feeling we'd be right above where some bulls would bed down up, uh, up on this bench where the, a bull would have to come up and over in order to see where we were making noise from. So kind of a, a good setup, um, steep, real steep, nasty rock stuff behind us. So nothing can sneak up on you. So, um, start, start my routine, cow calling, fussing around, making some little spike squeals and kicking rocks and stuff, just making a ruckus. And, uh, this is 10, 10 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, up comes up right up out of the, the stuff below us comes a, a five point bull walking up and, uh, kind of the same deal. Um, Spence, my other buddy, um, the other half of provider life, um, he's sitting 10 feet away with the camera messing around with the camera settings as, and doesn't hear this bull coming, uh, bikes 20 yards away, still breaking sticks and throwing rocks. No idea what's happening. And, uh, so I, range a range a tree real quick spin around knock an arrow draw uh have to shoot from one knee on this one at a steep downhill oh wow uh, so one knee this was my closest closest shot i've had at 35 and uh yeah he walked into the little open spot and and i shot him and he he fell um and went at the shot and kicked up a bunch of rocks and made a big dust cloud and those two guys had whirled around. They're like, what the hell was that? <laughs> that was the boy. I just shot me at. He just ran down the hill. And, no uh, way. Yeah. Same deal. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, a five point just walked in. And this is the same spot I had passed that five point on opening morning a couple of years earlier. Not today, ISIS. <laughs> no, not today. So I was like, you know what? That bull's coming home. So shot him. He, of course, turned and ran all the way down the mountain, about 1,600 feet straight down. Um, but we found him, and uh, after getting in the woods and, and missing the opening day entirely, we had a we had a dead bull at noon the next day. So that was 2018. You're five for five. Elk hunting's easy. Five for five. Okay, dude, so, so here's what we're going to do. This is how we're going to end this podcast because um, we, need to, we need to live closer, man. I, everyone I bring on here is cool as hell, but you and I would be actually be working out together, and who knows? Do you ride a dirt bike when you hunt? I do. Okay, yep. we're, we're also going to be friends there because I, I like dirt bikes a lot um, for elk hunting specifically. I don't get one. I don't have a dirt bike that I go ride for fun. Like I could care less, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, my I, tool. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to wrap myself around a tree. I got kids to feed, so I, it's a utilitarian purposes, man. I use it to get in and get out and. What do you ride? Get elk meat back to the truck. What's that? Oh, what do you ride? I actually have a uh, Rokon 2x2. Shut the front door. You got both wheels spinning. 
You Both can wheels go spinning, anywhere. ATV tires, in, yeah, hollow wheels. It floats. The whole deal. It'll that thing will climb a tree, my brother. It's, it's it's a it's it's the slow con as we affectionately call it in the group because my buddies on a 125 will smoke me any day. Are they on two strokes? No, no two strokes that I ride with. Oh man, because I I had a two stroke for a couple years. I got real wise on that. I was like, man. This thing's way too pipey and too loud. The elk know I'm coming, but uh, yeah. a Rokon is yeah, legit. Yeah, four strokes the way to go. Yeah, and it's it's quiet and just a torquey little tractor, basically, is what it is. I mean, low ride height, super stable. I'm what? not a confident rider. I didn't I didn't own a dirt bike until I was like 27, so I mean, I'd never even ridden one, you know. Um, so I started off with a little 150, and then got a, a, a T Dub, a little Yamaha 200. And then and then switched to the Rokon from there, and it's. it's Do you just, miss the TW? Um, no, not at all. Okay, because the Rokon will do everything that thing will do, other than top end speed. And I had my TW geared down, so it wasn't, sure. So I didn't. I took the top end off of it anyway, and the Rokon is just does everything that will do, and then except better. So. I think I was like 24 when I got a dirt bike and I bought the dirt bike so I could elk hunt off of it because I was tired of hiking these dirt bike trails that I was getting. Yep, um, that was the same thing. That just was tired the of same it. exact reason. I, I was like three years into elk hunting and I'd get three miles off the road up some mountain and get wait, wait, wait. somebody come ripping past me. <laughs> like, that's the end of this. I'm getting a bike. I actually so. feel sorry for those guys nowadays, man. I'm just like, all right. And I've seen some guys go hike in and hike out day after day where I'm doing like a 15-minute, 30-minute yep. dirt bike ride and two hours out. And yeah, they're not able rough. to hunt till dark, dark, dark because they're worried about hiking out. And I'm like, I got a headlamp. I just got to get back to my dirt bike at a decent time. But, yeah, for those listening, dirt bikes are scary. Don't get them. Don't use them for hunting. Just stick to hiking. It's safe. Yeah. That's – that's really not a lie. I'm terrified more than I'm not when I'm on the two wheels. But I actually started wearing a helmet because I have kids now. Um, yeah, helmet's a smart move. It's just a good move. And then uh, I started with a CRF two, uh, 250X when uh, they first came out in 2005. or That's when I bought mine. And then I thought I would get uh, into dirt bike riding trails for fun. So I got me uh, a fancy KTM two-stroker. Nice. And then I was like, you know what? I don't care about riding. I just want a bike that's contractor and is quiet. So I went to a, a TTR 250, and that's still my favorite bike. Um, yeah, it's a good ride. Those, I, the newer Yamahas are awesome. My dad's got a speed. my dad's got a like a WR 250, and it's the newer. And mm-hmm. I, I just convinced him to sell it and go buy a TTR 250. They stopped making them in 2006. I'm like, dude, go get my bike. It's tractors because his bike's just squirrely. And I don't know. He's not yeah. the greatest rider, but I've, I've ridden his bike. It's not, the, it's not the same. So, okay, to wrap this up, man, I was thinking, all right, since i got so much in common with you, I want to ask you one little bit of nugget advice for a few topics. Are you game? Yeah, yeah let's do it. What's your one little nugget for nutrition as it pertains to health, wealth, fitness, hunting, etc.? Yeah. So I am not the nutrition guru, but what I can say is do your best to figure out works what works for you individually and don't follow what anyone else is doing just because they're doing it. Everybody's different. Your body's going to handle things differently than anyone else. So just 
just just try to dial in your own system. And if something makes you feel good and eating a certain way makes you feel good without making you fat, then do it by all means. Okay. What is one nugget on e-scouting that you've done? Oh, nugget on e-scouting. Man, this this is one I should have some time to prepare for because I'm a total e-scouting dork. Um, let me think here. So this is kind of cool. Um, Onyx actually came out with this layer, um, that like their roadless area layer, um, which is kind of parallels what, what I'm doing here. But usually my first step with e-scouting is to overlay where all the roads and trails are and then just eliminate entire parts of a unit based on, on that. So that's kind of like my macro lens that I'm looking at, um, big picture stuff and just crossing off whole areas of units based on how roaded they are and how much pressure I think they're going to get from those roads. Um, so that's a, a big one that a lot of guys don't seem to do, which I don't get. They'll go into an area and somehow not expect there to be 25 guys parked there when it's on like the main route through the unit. Yeah. So, all right, man, give us one of your archery tips, whether it be execution, tuning, or anything you can think of. What's one good takeaway on archery? Putting you on archery the spot. T- I know, I know, man. I don't know. I think, I think I'm just dumb luck with archery. Repetition, man. The more, the more you shoot that bow, the, the more second nature it's going to be. So don't leave your bow in the case all summer and go buy a pack of broadheads three days before the season and sight your sight your bow in. Shoot that thing year-round. Get out there in January when it's snowing and fling a few arrows, even if it's only three or four at a time. Love it. Lastly, fitness and elk hunting, let's combine them. What, uh, what do you think you're doing that's led you to be so successful five for five going from no elk hunting experience to still notching five tags uh, as it pertains to fitness and elk hunting? It's uh, to steal a, a catchphrase from a buddy of ours. It's all mental. It's, it's, it's 90% of it is being relentless and being absolutely unwilling to accept anything other than punching the tag. Just get after it, get after it, get after it. That's it. There's, there's no, there's no secret sauce. It's just how hard are you willing to work? Right on, man. So provider life, that is a project or is that a brand? What are we, what are we talking about? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's me and my buddy Spencer. Um, he is stationed up in Alaska right now. So, um, we're just doing our best to film hunts and put some cool stuff together. Um, we just kind of doing it for the joy of, uh, you know, making some, some, memories for us that'll last and hopefully other people enjoy it but we got uh we got my buck in oregon on film last year and my idaho elk is on film uh with some pretty nasty footage um so he is deployed right now he's another military guy so we haven't had a chance to finish getting that wrapped up and put out there but it will be coming that's cool and then so instagram you are at where yep i'm at just dan salzman and then at provider life also I follow both, just so you know. Um, <laughs> my man. Appreciate you coming on, Dan, especially in the evening here. I can hear my kids knocking on my door. But uh, thank you for coming on. Um, 
we will do this again, and we will see if you go six for six. I, if I was a betting man, I'd put my money on you, brother. All right, just add to that pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thanks for having me, dude. I appreciate it. No doubt, man. We'll do it again. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Cool. Later. Welcome to the Two Minute Drill, sponsored by Elk 101. I'm going to sit down and chat with the elk hunting wizard himself, Corey Jacobson. Two minutes on the clock. Hurry up, offense style. Corey's going to drop knowledge bombs, and you are going to get better at elk hunting. So without further ado, here's Corey, and here is our topic of the day. Okay, Corey, continuing on this series of the bull that bugles and runs. You've touched on a couple of different scenarios. Let's finalize with that third one. Yeah, so the, I think the last one is one that we often overlook. And, you know, people will come to me and say, I had this bull last year. He was screaming his head off. And I got in there and he just went quiet. Or he bugled and bugled and bugled from the same place. And then as I got close and bugled, he moved off and bugled from 300 yards away. That's not a normal reaction for an elk. So something's happened. And I think that a lot of times we don't put enough uh, emphasis or importance on the elk senses. And so often we'll move in and not realize just how good an elk can smell or that they might be hearing something or seeing something that's out of place and causing them to get a little bit wary. So wind and thermals and an elk's nose are probably the most important thing to pay attention to at all aspects of elk hunting. And especially when we're calling, there is no way we can be 800 yards above an elk in the morning first thing and have him in the bottom of a drainage and call to him and then make our approach straight down to him and then wonder why he got quiet or why he's not as aggressive anymore. He smelled us. And so many times I think that's the reason is they're smelling. You know, if you move in on an elk and he's 300 yards away and he's bugling his head off and you go in 100 yards more and give a couple cow calls and he doesn't respond and then you bugle and he doesn't respond, something has happened. And it's not just a matter of, hey, that elk is, you know, he just doesn't want to bugle right now. He was bugling and went quiet. And so there's a reason. And if it's hunting pressure, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, that can be a, a key part of it. Wolves, which, you know, will throw predators into that hunting pressure mix that they add pressure. It's just four-legged pressure instead of two, and they can have the same effect. But realistically, I think the number one thing we need to look at if we encounter a situation like that is were we as, as diligent in paying attention to the, the effects and the strength of the elk senses being their sight, their hearing, and most importantly, their ability to smell. And just always making sure that wind is, is in our favor. Because if it's not, an elk is going to react to that. And typically, if you have a bugling bull, he's going to react by either going quiet or moving off and continuing to bugle. Hey, elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting, regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking 
and every topic in between, the University of Elkhunning online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. Guys, that's a wrap. It's uh, mid-August. Hopefully you're listening to this. Maybe you're on your way to a mule deer hunt or antelope hunt, or you're back at camp and just chilling listening to this, or you're going through your gear and you're just getting ready for that highly anticipated elk hunt. Thanks for listening to this episode. Dan is the real deal, and not all of us are going to experience five for five success like he did, but... There's definitely some clues left behind on this episode. The guy works his tail off year-round, and he's got this mindset. He's got more grit and determination than he does elk knowledge. He does all the little things like training, shooting his weapon year-round, and e-scouting, and humping the hills. The guy's an animal, and I hope that you can basically duplicate some of his best practices and find yourself with your first bull on the ground or consistently getting your elk in the freezer be safe out there. Tell a friend or a buddy. Give us a review. Share. Check out elkshape.com for anything upcoming and exciting. And uh, wish you nothing but success in 2019. Take care.